0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Uh, for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. But before that, we've got on the show the writer-creator of Charis Magic and the editor-in-chief of Aspen Comics. Uh, his new series, Damsel in Excess, arrives in comic shops this July, and we welcome back to the show the one, the only, Vince Hernandez. How's it going, Vince?
1: Hey, how's it going, Kevin? And uh, uh, uh podcasters, uh, listeners everywhere. Oh, it's good to be back, actually. Uh, I think it's been a while since. Uh, I don't know, when was the last time I was here? It was like a year ago, almost. I think um, it was
0: about a year ago, yeah. And I haven't seen yeah. it since Brian uh, Brian Bucciolotto's birthday party at Heidi O.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good times. Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny because I see you at all these conventions. Uh, and we get to chatting, but uh, yeah, you know, I forgot that it hasn't been about a year since uh, I've been back on. So I'm glad I can come back on early 2014. I feel special.
0: Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's awesome to have you back. And you know, we're so close to each other. I live in Culver City. You li- live and work in Culver City, from what I. Your studio mm-hmm. happens in Culver City, right? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, we're. Um, I don't know if you know that. Well, I'm, I'm sure you do, but uh, you know, we're in the <laughs> area. We're, uh, you know, we're about five minutes from the beach, five minutes from the airport. So yeah. We're, uh, you know, we're right in the heart of Culver City. But yeah, it's funny that you're. Probably one of the closest, uh, you know, people to us, actually. Uh, you know, a lot of the other uh, news sites or, or or blog sites, you know, they're out of state or, you know, right. or just been further out from us. So, uh, no, it's good to talk Ooh. to our local talent, you know?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we also do a lot of uh, work with screenwriters and agents and stuff like that. So, uh, in addition yeah. to, you know, aspiring comic writers, we talk to, you know, a lot of screenwriters and agents and managers and things like that. So. Um, right on.
1: I'm gonna have to go
0: on the show when those agents are there. So you know, yeah. <laughs> so We've had, we had quite a few and some really, really good ones. Um Right on. Um but last time you were on the podcast, um, we talked a little bit about your duties as editor in chief and how you were able to juggle both your editorial duties with your writer-creator work. Um, okay. um, but before we dive into your new series, Dan's in Excess, due out July, the week of Comic-Con, um, I want to delve a little further into your editorial work. Um, uh, starting from yeah, like please. the idea or concept pitched by a creator or creators, how is a series created and ready for publication? Like what steps need to be taken before fans are actually holding a book in their hands?
1: That's a great question. I mean, you know, there's so many different you know properties and things that get picked up from other publishers and, uh, and ourselves. And, uh, you know, it can be it could be a, a tricky road. I, I would say for an aspiring creator, especially try to figure out like, you know, how do I get a you know something uh, from pitch stage to actually green light? and then you know, even if you are an established creator, like what are the what are the steps, and then you know, from our side, how you know how do we go about picking it, and uh, you know, and I'll say everything. Uh, you know, every title is different for us, at least. Uh, you know, we look at each one as its own kind of entity, and. You know, each one has its own kind of—I would say—starting point that, that's unique in its own way. Uh, you know, uh, to throw out an example, we did—you um, know—one of our our more popular titles, Executive Assistant, Iris. Um, mm-hmm. That was an idea brought to us by—you uh, know—honesty creator. We have collaborated with a lot. David Wool, mm-hmm. creator of Witchblade, uh, co-creator of Darkness, After 99. Nine. Uh, he's done a lot. Yeah. Uh, and this was, a, gosh, I want to say, 2000 four or five when we first started discussing this property. And, um, you know, for David, it was it was just kind of through discussion where he had mentioned that he had some ideas and, uh, you know, he wanted to talk about which ones he thought might be viable for us. I remember there being a few that we actually, um, you know, were like, well, that, I don't know if that's something we're interested in. Um, but he brought us this executive assistant IRS property, which was really, uh, it was right up our alley. Anybody who's seen the book, or if you know anything about Aspen Comics knows we uh, we're very um, female centric with our mm-hmm. characters, uh, our fan bases. You know, there's a large amount of female readers, so we uh, we take that very seriously, and we want to make you know each character in its own right feel you know justified on the page. And and for us, this this property to us felt like something that we could really translate well into not only comic books but just multimedia in general. You know. Um, as a publisher, you know, as an editor, I always tell people, don't, don't create a comic thinking, this is going to be the next Walking Dead, because you know nine, nine point nine times out of ten, that's not going to happen. Um, but on the publishing side, you know, we we kind of have to look at a lot of these different, you know, intangibles later on down the road after the, uh, the book. And you know sure. that I'd be lying if it said if I said we didn't think about that type of stuff. Like, is this is going to is this something that could translate well into uh, film or television, or is this something that, you know, are there other media avenues that we can explore with this property? And I think, um, you know, Iris hit on all those notes. Now, if you're, a, I would say if you're a creator who doesn't have a long list of titles or published works, uh, you know, the the road is definitely a lot tougher. And, I, you know, I'm not saying anything that's not common sense, I think, to anybody in any entertainment uh, field, you know, You don't just walk up to uh, Warner Brothers and expect to, you know, get a movie made just based off an idea. You have to kind of take those steps, uh, you know, involved in each specific uh, media, you know, I would say with comics, I I preach this a lot, but self-publishing is probably, you know, the most common and basic foundation you need to build for yourself to kind of really get noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes all kinds of things. You know, you can do a Kickstarter these days. You can fund your own book if you're, you know, if you're that capable, you know, there's there's people out there right now that I, I talk to them all the time that they're funding their own work, so I don't know how they're doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and myself, even long-time creators do that nowadays.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm shocked at the amount of well-known, prominent uh, creators that have taken to Kickstarter just because my, my first thought was, wow, you do. I would have thought they could self-fund that themselves, you know. but Right. Um, you know, it's a great model, I, I you know. As a publisher, I look at Kickstarter as another publisher almost. It's it's something that's kind of out there competing with us, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? This is a great proving ground for a lot of creators that they don't have that avenue. They don't have an opportunity to kind of just get their work out there, get people noticing what they do. And, I, you know, that's the biggest step I tell everybody is, like, if you, you know, if you're not somebody like a household name, you got to get out there and bang the drums. you really got to, you know, get eyes on your work because that's that's the first step, you know, and getting noticed you know, it feels like it's the whole battle but really that's that's just opening the door <laughs> right from that point i mean there's any number of ways we could go i mean when, when once we and it's pretty much you know the way we work is the same across the board with every creator no matter if they're somebody who's done a million things like uh like a Scott love Daliver, there's somebody you know who we've never even heard of you know we generally approach them the same way we try to uh take the idea or the concept they have and you know you know as an editor I've seen it all I've seen one page paragraph scripts or I wouldn't even call them scripts They're just little uh you know barely written outlines you know to full on you know the whole series is out, is written out uh me personally I I'm not a big fan of that because I think the development process will kind of alter and it'll just change the way the property gets gets developed as you go along you know you have to kind of uh you have to make it malleable you have to work with this uh with each project and make sure that it, you know there's things uh you know like logo like design like uh, artwork you know how the story's being told and that you know i generally don't like to just say hey this is a project we found and it's completely done uh, i feel like we didn't put our mark on that in any way you know what i mean um right there's not a whole lot that you know we can hang our hat on in those regards. We've done them before. Don't get me wrong. We did a book, uh, Iron and the Maiden, and it was pretty much almost completely done uh, at the time. And it was brought to us by uh, a video game creator Jason Rubin. And at the time, uh, he funded the whole thing himself. So wow. and it was one of those where we were like, okay, well, this is a no-brainer. We you know we take the project, publish it, and see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But then we've had, um, you know, this year alone, we had a, a creator, Sia Um, who's, uh, you know, she's a lot more popular now. But once, uh, when we first started discussing her property, Lola so we were uh, kind of working with an unknown at the time. And, uh, you know, that's always a little tricky because you're talking about, a, a, you know, an artist or writer, in her case, she does it all, but... You know, you're talking about an unknown commodity in a in a marketplace filled with valuable commodities. So, uh, you know, where where do we put that in terms of our expectations? Um, you know, it's always tough, but it, it all starts from that basic idea. From that idea, um, you know, once once we see the general concept, I mean, we're pretty quick to either say, "No, this doesn't work for us," or, "Hey, you know what? We'd like to see more." And I think a lot of times when we say we want to see more, that really opens the um, you know the floodgates to really mm-hmm. getting better ideas just getting the ball rolling on these properties um you know right going back to the uh, aspiring artists or aspiring writers out there you know uh, you know I don't want to harp on it but definitely look into stuff publishing your own work if you're a writer go you know, go find an artist on DeviantArt or go find an artist on Facebook or go find an artist on any number of social media sites right now where you can just see art they're putting it out there for you uh and a lot of these artists are looking for work <laughs> Right, It's an industry right now where even some of the best artists in comics aren't working on regular titles. So, you know, there's a great opportunity for writers right now to kind of dive in there and have a little bit of a selection process, whereas in the past when you were trying to get into comics, you could honestly you just basically connect with any artist you could and hope that their style would translate to something good. But nowadays, I mean, I look right now and I have a list of maybe 200, 300 artists that are just, they're good enough to work, but they're not getting work. Um, you know, and there's a lot of opportunities out there for writers and it really starts that first step, self-publishing, you know, it's it's getting your name out there. It's marketing your name as a, as a valuable commodity. Right. Um, you know, the rest from there really, it can go any number of ways, you know, and once we take that original green light and we say, okay, this is what we're going to do as a, as a property. Oh man, that's really when the journey starts because, uh, you know, what we'll generally ask for is a full on series overview which is um that's like your most detailed outline from there it goes through a bunch of eyes you know i'm going to look at it um you know our owners frank peter they're going to look at it you know we're going to send it to you know the d- design the head of our design guy mark he'll look at it you know in production uh you know it goes to all these different avenues to get different eyes on it and pretty much uh we have a core group of people here at aspen where i want to send it to all of them to see what they think uh, from there, you know, we kind of shape it and meld it. We'll talk with the uh, creator and kind of go over what our thoughts are and what he should change. And Generally, we'll ask for a revised series overview. Once they send in one, we'll say, okay, these are our notes. This is what we want changed. Mm-hmm. This is what we like. And from there, you know, they'll usually come back with another one. That's just kind of um, close to finish. And we generally don't have too many notes beyond that because we're ready to kind of get into the process of making it because once you start making the comic, that's when you really start to see some of the things that need to be worked on and changed. Um, you know, and from there, it, God, it's like a train that takes off. At that point, I mean, you get, you know, it depends on the creator, of course. But you know, a lot of these guys, once they get that green light, I mean, they're off. So you're, you'll start getting scripts come in, and from there, you know, I look at that. A lot of times, they have artists that they want, kind of already in mind, and I'll either shoot them down or I'll tell them, look, this is somebody we could probably work with, or maybe this doesn't even work visually with what we're doing. Um, you never know. So from there, we'll we'll get the artists involved and. You know, we'll still be at the outline stage at that point and coming up with character designs and coming up with different looks and locations and stuff that we want to, you know, just an overall mood and atmosphere for the property itself. Uh, I think that's important because when you're putting out any type of book, it's going to fit into a genre. But we want to make sure we put our spin on it, something that, you know, might be steampunk. It might be fantasy, but it's going to look different. It's going to feel different from stuff you've seen before. That's really big with us. We don't want to come with something that's, you know, been done before. Right. Um, you know, and then from there, it's really just a matter of uh, you know your regular kind of comic process, where the um, the pages will get drawn, the creator will see the stuff and give us his thoughts, and you know I'll give my thoughts, and from there, it's a really day to day operation. It's it's pages coming in, it's pages going to the colorist. It's that's really where the the actual I would say fabrication of the book kind of you know comes into play. And at that same time, we're probably already starting the promotion. I mean, like uh, this new book, Danzels that you mentioned before, we're already promoting it, and it's a July book. You know, it'll be in previews next month. So in theory, we don't really – we've been ahead of the game on that. Um, you know, but we want to kind of give people an idea of what we're working on. And that's also important because we can kind of take fan reaction and different things we see and hear about designs and kind of – not say, you know, let them dictate, but incorporate some of those opinions and thoughts into our – you know our our future designs. It's all very um, reciprocal with the fans and the way we approach it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we like to put out little little flashes of what we have coming and see how they react. You know, and obviously if there's no reaction, we know, hey, we gotta kind of up the ante here. And uh, you know, if there's people going nuts, then we know, hey, look, just keep doing what we're doing. Obviously, people are gonna love it. You know, and um, you know, each one's different. Right. Yeah. know, yep. So it's I mean, you know, that's the overall process. I, I mean there's little things here and there that I could go into a, there's a million different things that make an account <laughs> book, but you know, the basic skeleton of how it gets you know, from idea to fleshed out as an actual book, that's kind of um I would say, you know, that's that's your general process. Right. right. Um, you know.
0: Um, you had mentioned that you I don't remember her name, that you would worked a creator who is sort of a bigger name now but wasn't when She originally brought her property to you. Um, Mm -hmm. How did that take place? Like, if they were sort of an unknown, if she was sort of an unknown, how did she get her material to you? How did that affect your decision-making process? What did she have uh, in order for you to consider it? I mean, was it just sort of an idea that she pitched to you and had some sketches? Or did she have, like, the whole book drawn out and written and everything? Or this is
1: a prototypical story that I tell everybody because Mm -hmm. it really... um, I saw a piece that she did, a piece of art. <laughs> as general, as basic as you could say, this is like fairy book, or I'm sorry, fairy tale type story. You know, I, I saw a piece of art she did and I thought it was phenomenal. I, even back then, it was, I think it was 2004 or 5. Um, you know, I was just blown away. I was like, who is this artist? And um, as it turned out, we were already friends on Facebook. You know, it just happens mm. that way sometimes where,
0: right.
1: uh, you know what I mean? And uh after talking with her, you know, she had mentioned that she was a huge fan of Michael Turner, which is obviously a plus for us because yeah. everything we do is kind of in his vision of what you know he had for this company. So, and you know, from there, honestly, we had sort of just a basic friendship. I mean, to this day, she's my one of my best friends. So, you know, I want to say, hey, this is a great example of how you can do it. But this is also kind of one of those examples where you know, we were friends long before she pitched me the project. But I knew she was working on this, uh, you know, for a good gosh, as long as I've known her, basically. But it's interesting because with her, and I just had this conversation with her recently where, you know, I never gave her a handout. I would not be hard on her, but I would also, you know, when she would show me stuff, I, I would offer critiques. I would say, this is what I think you're doing right, and this is what I don't think you're doing right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we started very, very slow. I think um, at one point, I gave her a couple pin to try for one of our splash books, which is basically a all pinup up book. Uh, I think from there, she moved on to cover work, and then she was... Slowly doing coloring on some of the pages, and she was just basically very involved uh, the last few years. But um, on the one hand, I always knew she had this project coming up uh, that she kind of wanted to put out there, you know. And I always told her, I said, "Look, you got to build your name up first before you start entertaining this, because if you just put it out, people aren't going to really see it. it would, you know, comics is very fickle that way. You know, they it's all about who you are and what you've done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, so I told her this, and she was very keen on look. I'm not ready. I don't want to put it out when I'm not ready. And, uh, you know, we waited a few years and we waited a couple more years after that. And finally, uh, around around last year, you know, we spoke and, you know, I told her, look, I think you're ready to kind of get this out to the world. And she agreed. And uh, from there, we just started showing work, uh, showing artwork and, and seeing what people thought about it. And, you know, she's got a huge fan base just based off of posting her own work all the time. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, so for us, it was uh, it was an easy fit. She was already doing covers for us for a few years at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But really, you know, like I said, you know, it all goes back to her doing a really you know great piece of art, and that can be the same can be said for writers. You know, you put out a really you know quality you know quality material, and, and you'll get noticed. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's it sounds so cliche. It sounds like the old adage you hear in Hollywood: like, "Oh, you know, just get noticed, and you know, and people will start offering you stuff." But that's really how it works. Um, you know, people at the end of the day, you know, publishers are, you know, everything is the bottom line. So you have to kind of look at it through those eyes. And if they don't think they can make a profit on you, then, you know, they're going to move on to the next writer, or the next artist. So uh, you kind of have to make yourself valuable in their eyes, you know. And if you're looking to not, you know, get published with a major publisher, that's fine, too. But at the end of the day, you know, you want people to purchase your stuff. It's still a business. So, you know, right. for us. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where you know I was kind of waiting for her to catch up to her own talent, <laughs> <Right. laughs> name wise. You know, and uh, the timing felt right, and uh, you know I think, general, based off of what I've seen from people's reactions, I, it seems like people are going to love this series. So um, you know, I hope that plays true.
0: Cool. Um, now other than other than sales numbers. What determines how long a series is going to run? And, and actually, now that we're talking about it, what are good sales numbers these days? Just out of curiosity. Oh,
1: you know, um, it's a great question because at the end of the day, there's a lot of intangibles. I mean, a book for us, you know, anywhere, like a new number one, you know, uh, if it sells anywhere from six to 40000 we consider that a pretty decent showing. Uh, I would say anything under like five or 6000 for a number one. You're going to get a sense that that book, the lifespan of that title is not going to be huge, and that's not right. to say that the story's not great It's just basic economics at that point where you know if a number one issue sells five thousand you gotta figure each issue beyond that's gonna drop off right uh, you see really substantial drop offs from one to two and then from two to three mm-hmm. so uh you know you kind of it's it's a little bit of um you kind kind have to be a little, little miscleo in that regard where you're kind of saying, okay well, if this number one sold. You know, 5000 What what am I looking at down the line for issue five or six? That's pretty low at that point. You're talking maybe half that if you're lucky. Right. Uh, you know, and then that's when the economics of it really comes into play because you're looking at, okay, well, if it's bringing in this much and we're spending this much to put it out, uh, is it viable? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, that's why, obviously, you hope for the higher numbers. For us, like as in India, I think, Anywhere from eight to fifteen k for a number one—that's great. You know, it's obviously we want the moon. You know, we we'd sure. love to have you know a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand like Marvel and DC, but realistically, we're in the marketplace uh, with other independent publishers. So uh, you know, we we keep our estimates grounded in reality, uh, and that's always worked well for us. Uh, you know, last year with the ten for ten, we had books that were a ninety-nine cent price point. So therefore we're getting returns like 30,000, 40,000, uh, issue number ones. You know, that's great. But, um, you know, again, we had to look at it realistically. Okay. Well, what's number two selling? What's number three selling? Uh, I think our number one book last year was all many fathom number one. I think it was around 50 to 60,000, which, um, you know, that's a, that's a home run. anyway. look at it for us because you're talking job offs. You know, they're still going to be in the high, in the high thousands, um, you know, which is great. So, uh, you know, it's all across the board. I think, uh, I think we would give a different answer than say an IDW or an Image. You know, um, right? They all have different kind of estimates. Like I said, ours is you know I would say anywhere between eight to fifteen K. you know that's a that's a pretty decent number. That's going to have some uh, longevity past the issue the first issue, and then uh, you know we have books that honestly they're kind of steady. And if down them always sells, I would say anywhere you know honestly I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would say you're looking at a solid. You know, anywhere from five to fifteen k per issue. No matter what number it is, which mm-hmm. I, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um. You know, that's that's really where the the bottom line starts to play into it is, you know, because for me, there's books that we've sold, you know, four thousand, three thousand. I think some of the best written stories we've put out. Uh, you know, and that's that's interesting because it's one of those industries where not necessarily um. It's not necessarily the best books that are selling the best. It's the ones that maybe, you know, have the best corporate back end or the ones that, you know, feature a character that people love, you know. It's very interesting because, um, you know, I like to think in other mediums if, you know, the most talented people are making the most money. But is it really that way anywhere? You never know. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, you know, you look at movies. Yeah. I mean, some of these great art house films are, you know, they make nothing, but they're yeah. great, you know, so it's. It's one of those kind of double-edged swords, I think, in comics. Where you know you have a good book and you really you feel great about it, but at the same time, sometimes the numbers don't allow you to go further than you'd like. Uh, you know, and you just kind of take each one with a grain of salt. I, I think we've had successes. And I think we've had failures, but at the end of the day, it's like managing those. You know, how do we kind of keep the the books that are successes going, and then you know reapply the thought process on the ones that may not have done as well, or You know, sometimes the the sad truth is we have to just outright cancel it,
0: you know? Right, right. Um, Talking about bang up number one sales numbers, what is Damsels in Excess? What is it about? Why should fans go out and buy it other than the fact that my man Vince Hernandez is the creator, of course?
1: (laughs) Well, you killed the first uh, answer I had. There it goes.
0: Um, (laughs) Damsels in Excess is an idea I had, uh,
1: gosh, it's going on about a year now. I really wanted to do something, you know, I love fairy tales. As you can tell, I've done Magic*. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of the books I've written, like Fathom and so far, have like a strong fantasy fairy tale base to them. They might not be that in the, you know, the original sense, but they're very, you know, they're fantasy stories. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my ballpark, and I really mm-hmm. wanted to take it to the next level. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, reading these giant worlds where you read a George R. R. Martin or, a, you know, a Tolkien world where they have these just giant worlds, I, you know, where... Anything can happen, and what I wanted to do with damsels was kind of do that with a with a touch of you know feminine side to it. I wanted to uh, kind of see what would happen if you had this fairy tale and, and it was all women, and that's the premise of this book. Uh, you'll come to find out that uh, there are no men in the story at all, mm-hmm. um, and you might be one of the first people I've actually kind of given that outright to that little bit of. Uh, <laughs> info because um I mean, you can tell from the promo piece or from the promo images we've released and from the uh you know just kind of solicitation info we've already put out there uh it's going to be very female uh you know driven but uh, quite honestly there are no men in the book <laughs> and it was my kind of um it's my kind of take on on the, i would say what would happen if there were no men but not necessarily um I know that's been done with Why the last man but I wanted to do it in a fairy tale setting. What would happen if there were no men uh, back in the day, in these, in these uh, ancient times? And, and uh, what would happen if you had all these women running these kingdoms? Uh, and that's what *Damsels in Excess* is. It's five, uh, it's five realms, and each realm is run by a different woman, and they are completely just off the, off the chain with different, <laughs> with different uh, personality types. Because so we want to do that on purpose. And I like to call it *Sex in the City* meets kind of fables because you have this just massive fairy tale world. Uh, we actually created a map just for uh, the issue. So when you pop it open, you can kind of see where we're talking about. Cause I oh. felt like geographically, this is going to be kind of tricky because there's right. so many different locations. We bounce back and forth. Um, and here's the uh, kind of the kicker to this premise is we, uh, I'm telling it more as a, uh, as a reality show type of issue. And I know people are going to be like, what does that mean? Uh, I don't understand. It's like a suck, but, um, when I was doing my research on how to tell a story and what I wanted to do with this story, I, I came to find out that like there was a lot of... Um, I kept going back to these reality shows where the, uh, the characters or the actors or whatever you want to call them, the real people in these shows would, would talk to the camera. They would talk to the audience and kind mm-hmm. of... Uh,
0: Break that third wall.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to do that with this story. I felt like it was something that hadn't been done in comics before or at least to my knowledge has been done well. So... I wanted to give it a try, so you'll see in damsels that these 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 maidens they actually uh, they turn into art of the camera, uh, and that's kind of our our, our ongoing I would say uh, you know theme that we keep up throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it really gives the it gives the book just a different feel when you read it. Why when you pop it up, and it's kind of like a contemporary uh, ancient story. <laughs> I like to say because it has these kind of and believe me, I did. So much research on just looking at different reality shows—it was terrible, because they're awful <laughs> for the most part. Um, you know, but I like the dynamics that you find in these stories, where you know you kind of strip away the pretentiousness of people and you get to their kind of core. And I think people can kind of be ugly when you get to their core of what you know, what they really, what they're driven by. And I wanted to capitalize that with damsels. I wanted to have these girls, um, you know, actually just sit there and tell the reader, "This is kind of." You know, this is pissed me off, and I, I felt like that would give this story something different from what your usual narrative that you see in comics. With the, uh, you know, the characters don't say anything; everything's done through captions, and you kind of get a sense of, you know, all your exposition through these long-winded kind of uh, monologues. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, like you said, I wanted to break that wall. I wanted to come, you know, directly at the reader and say, "Look, this, you know, this is kind of the interactiveness of our story. You're going to be." interacting with these characters and kind of uh in a reality show format. I felt like there was a lot of drama there. You can't deny that when you see these shows, I mean as much as their low brow and you know, their quality is questionable, it kind of brings out the worst in people and, and, and there's an interesting dynamic there that I really wanted to explore and I, I felt like uh, you know we've done a good job so far with the few issues of damsels that we've already completed. But um you know hopefully people agree.
0: Yeah. No, I mean uh, you know, especially with the whole, uh, uh, you know, George R. R. Martin, uh, the fire and ice series, the, uh, it, it, fantasy has so become so sort of mainstream and popular. Uh, but in terms of following in, in, you know, game of Thrones ish type world, is it fantasy in that sense? Like what? is it like sort of the, you know, the 300 Greek antiquity? I mean, what, or is it a whole new creation of your own sort of fantasy world? Um, Like what era or what time period or what, you know, era does it fall into?
1: I specifically, and it's a great question that you asked because um, I intentionally, I don't speak of any kind of eras or where this fits into that because there's a, a very modern to this story mm. um i felt like the way the characters speak it's i'm not gonna say they speak like we do nowadays mm-hmm. because they don't i mean I, I kept a very i would say uh early anglo-european kind of language that's primarily just because of the market that we're selling this book in mm-hmm. but um i left that actually kind of very nebulous because i didn't want people to kind of pinpoint what um where it goes i mean i would say if you're a fan of like the uh like like you mentioned, the uh, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. uh, Fire and Ice series, or you're, you're a fan of say the Lord of the Rings, or any of number of these popular, um, you know, classic fantasy stories, mm-hmm. you're gonna find a lot of similarities with our story in there. I don't, you know, there's no cars, there's no uh, right, right. There's not, there's nothing modern about these stories. They're very because I, you know, I'm very, I'm a purist when it comes to these fairy tales, and I keep the stuff very, um, I would say ancient. Right, um, right. But you know, you're gonna see dragons. I have a talking unicorn, oh, cool. and I have. You know, different things from mythology. I, I won't lie, I picked and choose uh, on a lot of these things. So, um, you know, if you're here as a historian, you might have some issues with me. <laughs> because a lot of times I, I don't, I dictate the story based on what I think the readers are going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm never, I'm not a fool. I don't, you know, I'm not going to add something that it's not part of that genre. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't like to kind of limit myself to any specific time frame with this stuff. Uh, that's kind of what I did with Terra's Magic. Um, it takes place in the future and it also takes place in the past, but I never mentioned what what kind of years we're looking at with the past and I felt like that really opened up the story to people, in, in people's minds. I I don't think they could really, um, you know, what I like to do is I like to kind of write it where people don't know what's going to expect or right. uh, what's going to happen next. You know, they don't, they have no idea and i think a lot of times when you're reading you've got to get that uh you know edge of your seat feeling when you're reading a story where you're like you know what they they i don't know what's going to happen next like you're bringing you know a, a mythological saber-toothed tiger out here <laughs> uh you know and and that's kind of like the idea i wanted to go with with damsels. i mean i would see obviously i would say there's a lot of uh you know you have castles and you have kingdoms and that's very uh you know very anglo-european you know from like the- right but I really built off that, and I, and I went, you know, very, you know, distinct with different worlds and different realms. Really, I really wanted to just kind of harken back to each girl and what their personality, you know, would kind of reflect, and, and I went from there. Um, so can I pinpoint it? I don't even know. I don't – I never sat down and really thought about it, to gotcha. be honest. It, it's, I it's,
0: shouldn't say it's, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Even you, know, you don't I, know what – no, I'm just kidding.
1: No, I, I left that nebulous, and yeah. that was intentional because I didn't want – I felt like once I kind of once you place it in a certain period, you kind of you're kind of stuck in that regard where you're kind of living off of the real world facts at that point. And right. then um, you know you just you put yourself in a corner. I didn't want to do that. Uh, is it right? I don't know. I'll leave that up to the reader. I guess.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it definitely sounds fantasy, and it it sounds cool. So um, hopefully, hopefully yeah. people think so. Yeah. Um, no, it's back to stormboard. I guess. <laughs> hopefully, you'll be breaking those fathom records, right?
1: Yeah. Hey, you know what? I won't complain.
0: Yeah um we're getting i know you've got to run pretty soon uh a couple other quick things other than asking books what are you reading
1: oh man dude i'm it's funny you mention that because i literally uh god i don't know if i should say this but i keep my i do my best reading in the the bathroom (laughs) i won't lie and uh just yesterday i was like man i gotta get some new stuff in here so i cleaned out um i'm a big fan of all across the board, but I do like. Uh, I just got a new book by a uh, novelist Barry Eisler, who writes these assassin books, which mm-hmm. sounds funny because I just spent about 20 minutes talking about fantasy. Right. But um, you know, I like I like Assassin's books. Lately, I've been on a big uh, kind of uh, I don't want to say reality show, but like very uh, biographical type stuff. I've been reading a lot of biographies, just to kind of get inside the heads of uh, famous people, and and just kind of honestly, I've been doing it to kind of help my writing, just get a better understanding of. Just people, I felt like, you know, my writing was kind of all the people that I was writing, all the characters I was writing were very, um, I'd say one-dimensional, but you can only tell so much from your own perspective as a writer. Right.
0: You really got
1: to get out there and kind of uh, see what other people are doing, see what other, you know, what other writers have, you know, cooking and what their characters are doing. So I've been kind of uh, reading different different type of fiction, but I've also been doing a lot of biographical work because I wanted to really, I wanted to kind of base a lot of my newer characters off of more of uh, a, just real emotion, you know, real grounded. Mm-hmm. Character uh, study. You know, attributes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I've been doing, I think, the last one I read uh, was, uh, it was actually funny because it was a George Perez book about, okay. uh, it was kind of bringing it back to comics in a way, which right. is funny because there's not a lot of uh, comic book biography stuff out there, to be honest. True. Um, Which is kind of, I guess, uh, a mark on our industry as a whole that we don't kind of... <laughs> We don't really—not to say support—but we don't really promote our our legends as well as other industries. I think you know, yeah. and um, but um, yeah, I think it was that uh, storyteller book, George Perez.
0: Yeah, I've never read it. But oh well, George next Perez. time I see you, yeah. I'll
1: have to give you my uh, copy. You can check it out.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, that'd be awesome. Uh,
1: it's a great I felt, book. I'll, I love uh,
0: George Perez and his work, obviously. Speaking um,
1: of posting on it right now for you, buddy.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: Gift to Kevin. <laughs>
0: um, okay, lastly. Because I know you're, you, you've got to run. Uh, rapid fire question. Okay. Better damsel in distress: Rapunzel or Princess Zelda?
1: Ooh, Rapunzel.
0: More fun taken in excess: Food or drink? Drink. And other than yourself, the more talented Vince: Vince Carter, Vince Offer, the Sham Wow guy, or Vincent <laughs> Van Gogh? <laughs>
1: I love how you ended with Van Gogh, kind of putting me in a corner, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go left. I'm gonna say Vince Carter, cause you know what, Van Gogh couldn't dunk over a guy.
0: That's true. Vince Carter is pretty. He's uh, what is he uh? Half, pretty, uh <laughs> and he's still alive,
1: so you know I don't want to upset anybody. That's actually. Uh, that's true. That's true.
0: I guess he's a half man, half amazing, there. right? Isn't that what he's called? Half yeah. man, half amazing.
1: Vince you know I'm a big NBA guy, so you. you yeah.
0: Nice.
1: You um, had me, at Vince Carter. <laughs>
0: I thought I could catch you with, with the Shamwell guy, but I guess yeah. I could.
1: Well, Vincent DiNapoli might have a he might have a problem with your questioning, but uh, for well, me. Well, pretty out, awesome. But,
0: he is awesome. Yeah, I don't know if he's as good as a Shamwell guy. I, that guy's pretty awesome too. Yeah, he also does the slap chop. So, oh, so does he? going
1: for him? Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. mean, he, he might take the, he might take the top it, and <laughs> he might have a solid beat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh awesome and that's all the time we have uh always good talking to you vince and be sure to add vince's new book damsels in excess to your pull list uh and you can find damsels damsels in excess on facebook so be sure to like it and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing you can send us an email to ask at or send us a tweet to at script scribe. there's no and in the middle there just at script scribe. thanks for listening